this Friday. Your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Ugh. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only theaters Friday. Get tickets now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to another episode of Growing Up the Same. I'm your host, Trevon Edwards, joined by my co-host, Jason Madison. And we have a very special guest today. We have Pablo Torre. Yes. Hello. Pablo Torre is a sports writer, columnist, and on-air personality for ESPN. Also a contributor to NPR. Thank you for coming on, Pablo. Uh, Of course, man. It's my pleasure. uh, Our first segment... It's called the one or the two. Uh, basically, it's the this or that segment, and uh, I'll shoot it off the hip. Levitard or coward? Oh, come on. I mean, the answer is Levitard, not just because I am wildly biased in his favor because he is a good friend of mine, but also because it's actually objectively the right choice. Objectively, agree. Objectively. I mean, I, I guess I'll throw a crumb to Yale. You know? <laughs> Maybe on this pod, they can finally rise above Harvard in the U.S. News and World Report rankings. No, but all seriousness, um, fuck Yale. <laughs> Tops or upper deck? Upper deck. Give me that upper deck. Those sweet, sweet holographic cards. Mm. I love it. Woody Page or Stugatz? It's, God, Woody Page, if you're listening right now, I am so sorry for what I'm about to do to you. I mean, I worked with Woody for eight years, but the answer is Stugatz. (laughs) Ah, It's Stugatz. I love it. 
our strolls, our strolls, <laughs> my strolls with Stugatz are, are, are important to my quality of life. Oh, Backstreet Boys are in sync. Mm. I would have said in sync, but to be honest, if I'm a karaoke, I am taking a Backstreet Boys song over an NSYNC song, and you know which one it is. So, that. yes, I want it that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not I everybody. Go Backstreet Boys. <laughs> you know, I, it, it's, everybody deserves its time in the sun. Right. It deserves its flowers, but I'm still, I'm still throwing roses at I want it that way, to be yeah. honest. <laughs> Quinn Tarantino or Christopher Nolan? Ooh, I love them both. Um, Christopher Nolan by a hair. By mm. a hair, but those are the two directors I really do. I mean, Memento is probably my favorite movie of all time, to be honest. Um, so yeah, give me Christopher Nolan, even though I love so much of Tarantino's movies and also his soundtracks. Right. His soundtracks are where he gets a big edge over Christopher Nolan, but give me the Nolan oeuvre. All right. Bagels or croissants? I am a bagel guy. I'm yeah. a bagel guy. Yeah, you don't have to see the photo of me sitting on a bag of flour eating a bagel that Zach Harper likes to tweet out to harass me yeah. semi-regularly. But as a New Yorker, also, I never figured out how to really pronounce croissant. Like some people say croissant, and I'm like, I can't, I can't do that. So yeah. give, me, give me the bagel. Uh, burritos or burgers? Mm-hmm. I mean, <sighs> burritos. burritos. Okay. It's hard, 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 hard. I mean, a good, like a perfect five guys burger is about as good as, as anything that you could throw at me. But, but the burrito, man, is a whole, it's all the food groups. Right. And in my old age, I need regularity of routine and intestinal movements. So, burritos. <laughs> Got you. A great book or a great show? I want to say great book, but the answer is great show. Because, like everyone else, my attention span has dwindled down to a sad, sad fraction of itself. So, yeah. Yeah. It, it's, <laughs> it's television. Yeah. Um, the process or load management? Mm, I mean, as the inventor of the process and somebody who, I mean, I get load management. I understand the reasons for it. I mean, I have a whole load management take that I will spare you guys from. But like the whole thing about load management, it's like you guys just lie. Right. <laughs> like don't say you're sitting out to load manage. Say you have like knee pain and Trey knows all about that. You can just say that. You can get away with it. Easy right. enough. The process is like, that's a philosophy. Load management is terrible branding for something. Right. Um, Wilbon or Kornheiser? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I dressed as Mike Wilbon for Halloween, and he did not get mad at me. So <laughs> enormous props. Enormous props. But Tony, Tony Kornheiser went to my wedding, and that was a thing that I did not expect when I invited him. But he showed up, left at 9.30 p.m. sharp, got the fuck out of there, and we all respected him for it. So <laughs> give me Uncle Tony. All right. Mediterranean Sea or the Red Sea? Never been to the Red Sea. I aspire to float there someday. The Mediterranean, though, I mean, yeah, yeah, all, all of it. I want, I want all of the Mediterranean, including the octopus that live inside of it with some olive oil. That would be nice. Nice. Uh, Paris to Tokyo. Ooh, I got engaged in Paris. 
but took my wife on one of our first big vacations when we were married to Tokyo. I think they're like one, two, honestly, in my favorite cities list. And I think I got to give Tokyo one and Paris two. Tokyo, I maybe explored like 1% of 1% of it. But even in that one of 1%, I had like a million questions. Like, where are your homeless people? Like, actually, that might be a reason for it to go too, because it's super suspicious that there aren't like any homeless people in Tokyo. Yeah, no, I went out there in 2016 and I had the same exact feeling. I was like, wait, there is not one homeless person anywhere. And I'm like, everybody's explanation was, oh, you know, it's more family oriented, this and that. And I'm like, okay, yeah, I get that. But still, like, is that the reason? Yeah, it's like, you know, it's kind of like. You know, speaking of, of of what Tokyo does really well, subways, it reminds me of my theory of subway cars in New York. If a subway car in New York is too clean, it means that, like, there was just a recent time when it was super dirty, right. which means, like, some shit got cleaned out of here. Right. There was and, some purge here. <laughs> yeah, they're hiding something. I mean, I think they're hiding something, but also... Yeah. Oh, I had the best meal of my life in Tokyo, too. I had a steak. Oh, God. Anyway, I, I, yeah, Tokyo won, Paris, too. All right, all right. Family Feud or Jeopardy? Mmm. Again, I think people would think I'm a Jeopardy guy, but Family Feud. I mean, just the number of clips. I don't go back and watch funny Jeopardy clips. I go back and watch funny Family Feud clips. No, there's, so, a, there's, a, there's a couple of funny Jeopardy clips. Alex has got, got a oh, few in there <laughs> yes he he has he has uh made fun of people without them realizing it and then they look down and like their organs are spilling out of themselves because he just made fun of like their hobbies i enjoy those yeah. but you could show me a family feud clip where even like steve harvey says nothing and it's still hilarious like i, I just think that show with a number of the hosts that i've enjoyed but steve harvey in particular i i i think that's sort of a perfect match yeah, no, he's he's one of America's greatest hosts of all time, I believe. I mean, when he screws up, he is amazing. I mean, I, the Miss Universe contest, I believe, where he mistakenly awarded someone else the thing and then gave my very own Miss Philippines the award. I was like, right. this has been a roller coaster that I'm so glad <laughs> happened in this specific way. Right. Um, speaking of hosts, Chuck or Shaq? Mm. I love them both. I have enjoyed interviewing them both. Uh but Barkley seems like the happiest person in our business, even though there are reasons for him to not necessarily be that way. Like he never won, never won a ring. He gets made fun of all the time. He's, you know, this jester kind of figure, but the dude has figured out life. Right. I mean, he just seems to have a quality of life and a contentment that I aspire to, honestly. There's a Zen of Charles Barkley that I admire. Agreed, agreed. Iced coffee or hot coffee? Iced coffee. I have a terrible tolerance for hot things. Yeah. It's a flaw, I think, biologically. But iced coffee will do it for me. All right. And the last question is, would you rather live a boring life for 500 years or a great life for 30? Mm-hmm. This is deep. This is deep. Um, yeah, I mean, when you say boring, I mean, that sounds torturous already. Right. So let me let me take the 30 years and even though interesting is very loaded, and I'm going to trust in you to make sure that my life is interesting in a good way, yeah. I will take interesting for 30. Um, 
but yeah, the five that just the other one, man, just seems that just seems like torture. Right. I don't need to be here for five hundred years, man. I'll right. figure it out after thirty. <laughs> yeah, I feel that. Well, that was the one of the two. Thank you. I cut to the heart of me, man. There's some <laughs> deep, deeply, deeply resonant choices I just made. Yeah, yeah, there were. You're gonna have to reflect on them later. I know. I, I hope. I hope I made the right choices. <laughs> Speaking of uh, the Wilbon pick, that's your profile picking in my phone for the contacts when you call. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's such a great picture. I, though. I have. No, I love. I love that we did that. I love that we figured out a way for me to dress as both. Uh, Chris Tucker and Michael Wilbon on successive Halloweens without actually being racist about it, which I think is a lesson for all of America. There right. are ways to do this, guys. Just don't change your skin color. Just there be you yourself. Go. Be yourself. There you go. I'm glad that you didn't dip yourself in, in chocolate pudding or something wild. Because <laughs> it could have it took a wrong turn. I mean, people have done that. You know, we laugh, but it's absolutely a thing where, like, I think people, I mean, maybe it's too much credit to say innocently dip themselves in such things, but it's like you really didn't see that this was going to end this way. Yeah. 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 <laughs> All right. So I'm going to jump into my segment. Uh, how was it growing up as a gifted child? Mm. I mean, I wasn't in any like crazy boy genius programs or anything. I was just a kid who did really well in school. And so I was very lucky to have parents and have parents who challenged me and this is the flip side of 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 the challenge is like man i'm a first generation american parents are immigrants parents are doctors from the philippines they had really high standards for me so there was never a time in my life when i coasted on anything i always felt both supported to be clear but also challenged and you know reflecting back on this now i, I think like yeah why did it feel like a b plus was failure and why is that unhealthy but why was it useful? And I think back to, to that time in my life where I wanted and expected greatness for myself academically. But I think it all came from, honestly, a certain curiosity. Um, I'm a curious person by nature. And I think wanting to learn and read was how I became actually like passionate about school. It wasn't merely that I was forced to do it and therefore wanted to be good at it. I was actually really into it which is, I think, the, the, the real definition of, of gifted that I give is I, I was blessed to actually be into this shit. You know, like I went to school and was excited about going to school. Um, part of me still misses school. And, and as uncool as those sentences are, very understandably, I think that's, that's part of whatever um, ability that I have is, oh, it was passion as well as it was um, this sort of coaching, which was pretty high standards and pretty difficult. Man, that was that was a deep answer. I didn't expect that. So I'm going to take it off the seriousness and we're going to get into basketball cards. Let me tell you about my childhood, Trey. <laughs> Let me tell you about my childhood. So <laughs> I know for me, my uncle Ronnie, he would use his money to go to go to um what was the Jason you would know man uh, uh it wasn't like Costco but it was in the hood what was it uh, uh Echo? give me another name I can't think of it right now 
it's one by Centennial too, actually, that was like across the street from that like chicken spot. Like that I can't think of. You're talking about Sam's Club? Something similar to that though. And I can't think of the name right now. But it wasn't like national, I don't think. But yeah. long story short, he would buy these box set of cards. And he had Skybox, he had Fleer, he had NBA Hoops. And one that always sticks out to me personally is the 90-91 season, 91-92 season that had like the airbrush where the guy, Reggie Miller, you know. The white white card, but then that like graduation photo airbrushing behind the player, yes. And then they also had the the draft cards. So I remember having Gary Payton talking on the phone. So that was like a fun time. So who got you into collecting cards? I think I got it just because I was an enormous NBA fan who went to grade school in the 90s. Like, I think that's where it started. My parents didn't know anything about trading cards at all. But I remember this being a thing at school, and it was a way for me to feel connected to the game that I loved. You know, I think fantasy sports probably is that for a lot of kids these days. But for me, that was how I felt a part of this thing. And I remember, man, like 92 upper deck. I just have like these vivid like imprinted memories of these cards in my brain. And I, I mean, (laughs) I remember a, like subscribing to like Beckett's basketball monthly where you could like flip it open and see like the stock market of cards. Like, Ooh, this is a green arrow. This is big news for me. Meanwhile, like I never sold anything. I never like monetized this in any way. I just collected and felt good about collecting by looking at the little arrows on the pages of Beckett's. But the other thing that sticks out to my Memory is like how I had a bunch of my Michael Jordan cards stolen. <laughs> oh man. Yo, so I was I went down to the basketball court with my binder in hand because I'm an innocent child who is here to like share in the joy of my collection with others. And I remember like so we're playing shooting around and also they're like kids showing off their cards and so like I I lend my binder to some kids I don't really know that well. And I'm playing basketball, I come back, and when I get back upstairs later in the afternoon, I open it up, and like there are just empty sleeves. I had one of those like binder pages, and it's all of my Michael Jordan shit. And I grew up, I mean, this is a sad confession on another level. I'm from New York, born and raised a Knicks fan, but I worshipped Michael Jordan because I am also a child of the 90s, right? I drank all that Kool-Aid. So Michael Jordan basketball cards was... That was my most precious possession, and that shit got stolen from me, and I never recovered. That's sort of when it all same way. Home. I had, I had like twenty two Michael Jordan basketball cards. I remember like I collected cards in the same way. I would go at um, what is it Universal City Walk? They had this shop that was like a sports memorabilia shop, you know. And like every couple of weeks, my dad would take me up there. I would buy a big pack of cards. It'd be like eight dollars. I go through the whole pack looking for a Jordan. You know what I'm saying? Like, and then you would get those other little small packs with like 24 cars in it. You just flipping through the cars, like, is it a Jordan in here? And most of the time it wouldn't be. And then the ones you get when you get the Jordan that day, you're like, oh, this is a day. And you make your little, you know, like you said, you have your little sleeve with all the Jordans. Yes, you arrange it. <laughs> yeah, like that was lit, you know? So I already know what that feeling was like. Oh, it, it it hurts so bad. And and Trey, you mentioned I think your uncle who buys the box, who would buy the box. I remember going to those those shops, right? Those trading card shops, 
and memorabilia stores. And nothing seemed like wealth to me more than somebody who sat a fucking box of cards down and bought that. I was like, I, I never, I never, my parents obviously never let me buy a box, but I just remember thinking when I'm an adult one day, <laughs> this is, this is what I'm going to do. And I never did. Maybe I, now that I talk about it with you though, I kind of want to do that. We might, yeah, ha- we might have to get back into that. Cause actually I told Jason, I don't know, I don't say it was months ago when I told him that I was actually looking at cards and we were looking up just like random boxes and they were on eBay. I think for $250, you can find those original 9090s untouched mint. Mm. And I was like, mm. do I really want to open those packages? Like, do I really want to find <laughs> out? And I know that when I had them, there were such things as Aaron cards. So the number would yes. actually be off or the name would be twisted a little bit and you would keep it. So, um, I know I was big on having every single card. So I would just buy and have duplicates and just double stack those sleeves. And it was Oh, just, you would complete the set. You yeah. would you, you were Oh yeah, completest. no, I was all about it. But it worked it actually worked out now because I'm so knowledgeable with knowing who That's the fifteenth man is. Yes. So yes. it was like, you know, competitive like in that situation, but man, that was such a good time, man. So we might have to start up, you know, an online basketball Our, card club or something. It. Yeah. We'll just bring I mean, it back. there is I, I, if you if you told me like, yo, I'm right now I'm live streaming me opening a box of cards like I'll probably tune in just because that excitement reminds me of a more innocent, better time in my life. A time when I for reasons that would never have happened otherwise. I knew specifically what like Adam Keefe looked like. I like just remember like Adam Keefe cards like who the yeah. fuck is this white dude on the Hawks? And yep. He still sticks with me to this day. To this day, right? Yeah, I, I, man, from Sleepy Floyd to like Vernell Fleming, like just random names, bro. Like that was just kind of <laughs> like just popping up. Like I would never know who Michael Cage is if I never really would have bought cards. So I definitely looked at a Bo Outlaw card a couple weeks ago. <laughs> so the next topic I want to talk about, and I actually have a list before you even get started. I know you're going to like get hyped. Let's talk about Pokemon, but I have before we even get into that, man. I got a, a top ten best Pokemon of all time list, and you can tell wow. me if you agree or you don't agree. I didn't make this list. But we gonna go with it. I actually was into Pokemon for a little bit, and I tapped out like early on. I got back on on when it went mobile, though, when you had to actually search. Yeah, Pokemon Go. Pokemon yeah. Go. Yeah, I was all around Santa Monica Pier, almost flipped over a, a rail trying to find some. So, <laughs> but at ten, they got Rapidash. Nine, Drifloon. Ooh. At eight, Snorlax. Respect. At seven, Squirtle. Mm. At six, Turtwig. Uh, at five, <laughs> and I don't know if I'm saying this right, uh, Gyarados or Gyarados. Oh, the big dragon. Yeah. The big blue dragon. Gyarados. Gyarados. There you go. Thank you. Four, Slowpoke. Three, Cubone. Two, Piplup. <laughs> and one, Eevee. Eevee. Okay. So here's, here's, here's my first confession. So several of those names are younger than my Experience. expertise in Pokemon. Yeah. Because there are new ones, man. Yeah, so like, true. One of my many hills that I am happy to defend is that like Pokemon peaked when I cared about it. And then <laughs> it went downhill when I stopped. Okay. So all these, like Pip-Up, like I, I don't know him. Yeah. But Cubone. No, I was looking at the list guy confused, with the thing on bro. his face. <laughs> yeah, no, there, there are like a three or four names on there where I'm like, 
Yeah, that's not a thing that I'm familiar with. But the other ones, I mean, look, I will give you my particular ranking. And it comes from the fact that, and this is getting into another story from my childhood that is very serious. Um, no, my dad took me to a Pokemon tournament in New Jersey because I wanted to go like see if I was any good at this game. And there was like a mall in New Jersey that was having like Pokemon tournaments. Brought my Game Boy over there, took my little brother. My dad waited in a car for an entire day as we waited in line in a mall in New Jersey. And I just remember thinking like, man, even back then I was aware like my dad is doing us a solid. Like he is not enjoying this. He is waiting in the fucking car as we go play a Pokemon video game, which I'm sure he thinks is insane and completely useless. So shout out to my dad for that. Shout out to your but, dad. That's patience, bro. Well, it, it is. And, and as, a, as the dad of a five-month-old, I'm like, I can only be so lucky as to be half of the person, half of the patience of the person who, who waited in a car for a Pokemon tournament for me. Um, but I had a team. I had a squad. I had Tauros, which is the bull. Shout out to Tauros. He was super fast. He had all sorts of powers like Ice Beam, Earthquake that you could give him. So that's my number one. Number two, Jolteon. Jolteon was one of the super fast Pokemon. Shout out to Jolteon, Thunderbolt, so forth. Um, those are my top two. And then the three, you go down the list and like, yeah, did I throw a Venusaur in there? Maybe because I wanted to use those divine thing. Maybe I did that. Were we allowed to use Mewtwo? Mewtwo is kind of cheat code. I don't know if I actually got to use him on that team. But yeah, I have very... I, I mean, I have notes, like notebook paper, where me and my brother would like strategize for this tournament about what characters we wanted to use. So Tauros is my number one. And I will, if anybody can also like unearth an old Game Boy with like Pokemon Red and Blue on it, I kind of want to see what that's like. eBay, buddy. eBay. They got it all. I don't know if you want to, so, I don't know if you want to invest in it, but somebody probably a gifted to you. <laughs> If you're Can I get an emulator? <laughs> yes. Yes. This pod. But I don't want to promote illegal things on this pod. But yes. Oh, it's me neither. Me neither. No, I've never heard of an emulator. Not at all. Torrents, video games? Nope. Never heard of it. We'll talk via text. I'll set you up. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So moving right along. Shouts to Blast from the Past, Pokemon, the OGs, the new Gs, and all that. Um, let's talk about zoos. Now, I didn't start going to zoos yeah. until I became a teacher, field trip wise. Mm -hmm. Now, you're making it seem like visiting zoos was a thing for you. So let me know how you became the king of the zoos. My mom, I mean, I'm from New York City. So Central Park was my gateway drug. And my mom would bring me to Central Park a lot. And I was into animals. I mean, I, I guess all kids are into animals. So this isn't very unique. But I just remember loving, <laughs> actually, completely sincerely being fascinated by loving these animals like oh, i want to watch them i want to learn I, it felt i mean i don't have to get very deep philosophically we all think animals are cool i think but like for me zoos and the bronx zoo is still man i went to the bronx zoo so this is the one thing trey and jason that i do as an adult still i don't play pokemon anymore I don't collect trading cards, but I absolutely will go to zoos on my own, sometimes alone, sometimes when it's raining, when no one else is there. I went to the Bronx Zoo with a friend of mine, and it was raining, and no one was there, and it was scary. Amazing, but scary. Scary in the sense that, like, I could walk up to the snow leopard enclosure and, like, have it all to myself, 
and then realize like there's no like security person around here. There are no like guides. There are no other people. Like if a snow leopard wants to pop out of this enclosure real quick and murder me, I am not going to be helped by anybody. Right. So that was something that I really enjoyed doing as an adult. But here's the thing about zoos also. Zoos were my gateway drug to whale watching, which I love as an adult. It's my favorite thing to do as an adult is go whale watching. I will bring my wife on vacations to whale watch. And she doesn't love it nearly as much as me, but there is nothing that is more like Jurassic Park than going whale watching. It's so amazing. Dude, my, my grandparents took me to Hawaii as a kid a lot. That's like their favorite place to go. And we will always go whale watching. And as a kid, I mean, like you said, it's not unique. We all love animals, but seeing it is literally one of the most majestic things. And this is like before the internet and you see all these yes. so crazy videos and stuff like Back in the 90s and early 2000s, like seeing a whale out of a boat, like breach the water and just do like anything is just it's mind blowing. You're like, wait, the animal is swimming. It's in the water all day. What? <laughs> it's the, the biggest animals on the planet are yeah. alive. They're in the ocean. And first off, the blue whale is the biggest animal that's ever lived. Bigger than any dinosaur. Think about that. That's crazy. Right, yeah. so there are blue whales hanging out by you guys, right, off in California, Trey. Mm -hmm. Like, you can go conceivably go see a blue whale sometime if you want to put the time in. But for me, I just went whale watching last week. So this is my first pandemic era whale watch. And so socially distanced, wearing a mask, the whole deal. But it was worth it to me as someone who is otherwise extremely indoors because of everything you said, Jason. Like, the majesty of this shit is something that must be experienced. And the Jurassic Park analogy is, for me, you go and sit on a boat and you don't know when they're going to pop up. Mm -hmm. And so suddenly, and this has happened to me, I, full disclosure also, my bachelor party was in the San Juan Islands off of Seattle in Washington State. We went whale watching. We rented a private boat, went whale watching. It was incredible. We saw a breaching humpback whale. Right. Like this shit. So this past weekend, or the weekend before this past weekend, I went to uh, New York Harbor off of Rockaway Beach, they have whale watches now because the waters are cleaner. There are lots of little fish called Manhattan in there attracting big humpbacks. I saw lunge feeding for the first time. Humpback whales repeatedly coming out of the water and eating these tiny fish. But you get to just watch them repeatedly do this. Wow. It makes it, it makes me feel tiny and small, but also connected to nature. It it's it's it gets deep, man. Like I think it's it it demands more than anything that you be present. You have to be present. Right present. It's not about, because you're probably not going to get a good video of it. You're not going to be able to predict it. You just got to be present and aware and into it. And if you are, it's, it's so unbelievably fun to me. Man, that was, that was, I didn't expect that, but that was pretty cool. Cause I was definitely going to drop my, uh, did you ever pull a Nas come get me uh hydro drop skit going to the zoo <laughs> and being blazed, but cool. I'll, I'll take the blue, blue well segment. <laughs> in between the lines, you can fill in all sorts of things that I will neither confirm nor deny as an employee of the Walt Disney Company as to what I may be doing while I'm walking in between these exhibits or on this boat. <laughs> but let's just say that I am one with nature in all sorts of ways. Right. Bless, bless. As we all should be. <laughs> we all should be. All right, moving <laughs> along. When was your first time in front of a television camera and what was it like? It was 2008. It was the summer. It was on the set of a little show called The O'Reilly Factor. <laughs> you guys remember that? 
Remember that yeah, shit? Yeah, I remember the O'Reilly factor. <laughs> so Bill O'Reilly put in a call to Sports Illustrated where I was working at the time because he wanted to talk about Michael Phelps. Everybody at Sports Illustrated who knew anything about Michael Phelps was in Beijing. It was the Summer Olympics in 08. So they were on a different time zone, completely inaccessible. But me, I was in the office. I was there. I was a year out of college, had never done television before in my life. And they wanted somebody to go talk to Bill O'Reilly about Michael Phelps and swimming, because it turns out Bill O'Reilly is an enormous swimming fan. And as I discovered pretty immediately, he swam in high school on Long Island. And so he needed somebody to lecture about swimming. (laughs) And that was me. And I learned so many lessons that day. I mean, first off, this was Bill O'Reilly in the, uh, you you remember the We'll Do It Live yeah video so this was like maybe months weeks even it felt like days after that because that was the number one thing in my mind was the do it live guy um maybe yelling at me at any any moment um mad not the camera on you mad guy (laughs) (laughs) oh i mean doggy i know what you did doggy uh yeah (laughs) that um so i was like pretty out of my body, like nervous, and it felt surreal. Um, it felt like I climbed inside of a television. And I learned a very valuable lesson that day. And it was a lesson that paid off in the future um, as I began to do television full time. But that was the lesson about listening face. Like when you're listening to someone, you might still be on camera. So don't look like you're terrified and feeling out of your body and you're waiting for the opportunity to say the one thing that you had rehearsed. Like, don't look like that. But I remembered watching that segment back and thinking, they are showing me way too much. And all I'm doing is listening to Bill O'Reilly lecture me about his high school swimming career and looking fucking terrified. The greatest listening face I discovered last night was Kid Cudi listening to Nego talk. And I knew he didn't know anything he was saying. He was just like, (laughs) yeah. It's just like, bro, he's speaking like pure, like this is, you're, the translator can't help you right now, bro. Like not real time. They had to do cutscenes for that. Like it was just bugging me out really. But man, I but definitely know feel you on that. Listening? You know who's great at listening face? Um, Stephen A. Stephen yeah. A. Yeah. I mean, again, in that, I, I bring it back to the Steve Harvey thing. There are people on TV who don't need to say anything, but are incredible at television. And that skill of facial expression, engagement, it's theater. That is that is some ninja level expertise in this business. So shout out to Bill O'Reilly for teaching me that through uh, a baptism by fire, because that was uh, that was a lot. Shouts to Stephen A, too, man, a.k.a. Screaming A. Um, Screaming. The ghost. <laughs> Screaming A. Yes. Yes, man. He's anytime, all of these things. anytime he pull up with that cowboy hat on, you know what I mean? The Green Bay bit, that that's still the goat. I mean, we worked when Bo and I did high noon, we worked in the seaport and the newsroom was right outside of Stephen A's radio studio. So every day at one PM, we were taping by that point at around 2, 2.30. So we're in the thick of like whatever preparation for our show. Stephen A would come on the radio at 1 p.m. and he would scream through the walls. And so we would invariably stop doing all of our work and just listen through the wall and laugh at what Stephen A was doing. Because we had like maybe 
as it, as it is per technology, like seven seconds before it actually made air, like what he was going to say. And we would just die. I mean, he's, he's just like the volume of it made us laugh and totally undermined the work we were doing, but it was all worth it. Yeah, man, that's great. <laughs> I'm, I, imagine, I imagine it's like, like editing in like an editing suite and somebody's editing Jurassic Park <laughs> the next room over. <laughs> yeah, man. It's just glasses of water trembling. <laughs> yeah. That's all it is. Just watching it. Yeah, for sure. Do you feel there was a bigger hill to climb being a minority as a sports j- journalist? Um, yeah, in some ways. I mean, there aren't a lot of Asian dudes. Like, so for me, there's a constant, and I still feel it too sometimes, there's a constant incline where it's like, I need to prove that I have credibility on this stuff. I mean, I didn't play sports in any impressive way. I last played organized basketball in Catholic youth organization level basketball when I was like in sixth grade, right? I don't look like an athlete because I am not an athlete. So for me, having the credibility to talk about stuff because I have done a lot of work now, I started at Sports Illustrated, as I said, 2007, the fall. So I've been at this for 13 years. Um, yeah, I need to constantly sort of prove that I know what I'm doing and know what I'm talking about and that I have done enough reporting and I have thought seriously about what it's like to play sports by talking to the people who do them and the coaches who coach it and the GMs that make these decisions. Um, yeah. So for me, it's not anything anyone ever told me like, oh, you should go do this. This is natural. Like, no, this was not at all what people looked at me and thought I should be doing. Um, And so there's a certain loneliness on that level. But to be honest, like, I have found that I'm lucky to have worked with people who are uh, of different backgrounds, who aren't necessarily people that you'd think, oh, this is a sports guy. I mean, Bomani is not somebody either, even though he is 6'4 and black. He's not somebody who is a natural sports analyst because his background is all sorts of other different things, economics. Mina Kimes came from finance journalism. I mean, Dominique Foxworth did play sports, but then like wound up talking about it as a gas bag for fun after going to Harvard Business School. Like There are all these people in this weird island of misfit toys that I've really enjoyed getting along with that have made me feel not lonely at all, actually the opposite. Like I have my people, but... Absolutely. I mean, you'll get, I mean, my favorite thing on Twitter is still when people will like at me and be like, why is this Chinese dude with a Mexican name lecturing me about basketball? And I'm like, you know what? I still laugh at that. Number one, (laughs) it's still funny to me, but I got to explain and sort of reaffirm that like, yeah, I, I have some credibility when it comes to this. And the example I always use is like, look, if you're covering the president of the United States or politics, you don't need to be the president of the United States to write about the president of the United States. Right. You know, you don't need to be to extend our metaphor. You don't need to be a dinosaur to be a paleontologist. Right. <laughs> you should, whenever possible, seek out firsthand information from the people who matter. And obviously, it's really important to hear from athletes and former coaches and former GMs and all of that. But I come at it from a different angle, and so it's a very long way of answering your question, but the answer is yes, and that I have actually enjoyed climbing that hill, even if it is kind of angled against people like me historically. Yeah, I would say, like, the guys, everybody, well, not the guys, the guys and girls that you mentioned, to me, you guys are kind of like the X-Men in that way, right? Where it's like, yeah, you're misfits, but because... 
there's a bunch of you guys. It's your your own group. And I identify with you guys. A lot of other people do. You know what I'm saying? Bo being an intelligent black guy, you being a, you know, uh, Asian, M- Mina doing her thing and, you know, s- coming from a completely different angle, like even Lebetard in his own way, you yeah. know, like all of you guys like occupy this space like that 10 years ago, 15 years ago, like my dad was like a huge Jim Rome fan. And, you know, like that era was like all like, you know, just regular white guys or whoever, you know, and then now like I'm glad that the people that I look at and listen to like embody you know, who would be my friends or people that I would hang out with or whatever and have that like intelligence level comedy, all that stuff that I could relate to rather than just being like, you know, the same kind of like what we grew up on, you know? Yeah, man. I feel that. And also like shout out to Jim Rome just because he made so much money doing this. Like I looked up recently, like he's, I think he still might be making like max salary money, honestly, like NBA <laughs> max salary money. Yeah, probably. Uh, but but to your point, like, yeah, I think I think the people who are talking about sports kind of look more like the people who actually watch and enjoy sports yep. um, on different sort of levels. And so, yeah, we're 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 a weird melting pot in that way, which is not surprising to anybody who's familiar with the country we live in. Right. Uh, let me ask you a couple of questions. If you could have any athlete's career, who would it be? Ooh, I mean, so I just spent time talking about how awesome Charles Barkley is, but I don't think I would wish for that career because he gets clowned on way too much. Um, I'm not as thick skinned as him. Um, Oh, man. I mean, is it bad that whenever this question comes up, I'm like, yeah, I'd like to be Robert Ori. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like I, I. That's I think we all probably like imagine yeah. ourselves. My baby monitor's going off as I silence my five-month-old to give <laughs> yeah. this important opinion. Um, yeah. yeah, I think we all want to be like Michael Jordan or even Scottie Pippen. But I'm also like, I'm kind of into the life that Robert Ory has carved for himself. Or even, you know what, Rick Fox. Give me Rick Fox. And it's simply because Rick Fox seems to have figured out a way to transcend sports by being this just like generally famous handsome man who is in various tv shows that i love have you guys ever seen party down by the way no okay it's an amazing comedy on stars it's very obscure but rick fox has a cameo in it that's one of my favorite athlete cameos ever and when i met rick fox randomly at an esports tournament because he's like an esports owner i yelled lines from the show at him which i really should not do to anybody on principle but he immediately got it and became one of my favorite people but rick fox man won a lot of titles was good was absolutely rotation player and married vanessa williams at one point right <laughs> so like shout out to him no for sure no, definitely. That's the, uh, I wouldn't have thought about Robert Ori. And it's funny because, you know, the obvious answer most people would say would be Michael Jordan. But it really took me watching The Last Dance in that episode where he was like, some people would be Michael Jordan for a day or a week, but you probably wouldn't want to be me for a year. And I was like, wow, I never even thought about that because you're probably right. <laughs> like, you know, it sounds good in principle, but in actuality, it's probably not all that fun. No, I found that the, the, the variable you want to isolate and reverse engineer and select for is just happiness. Like, who seems happy? And again, yeah. there's, there's the illusion of happiness is a big problem, obviously. Social media distorts that all the time. But people who seem satisfied and fulfilled and happy, I'd rather be those people than Michael Jordan, even though Michael Jordan is obviously my childhood goat and accomplished everything. He just didn't seem fulfilled or happy, um, which is, that's what we all want when we depart this planet after 
30 years of living interesting lives. <laughs> so on that note, what was your favorite memory from childhood? Mm, man, I, you know, it's funny. So the memory that sticks out to me as both super um, happy and formative, uh, I remember in kindergarten, I asked to stand up in front of the class and sing a song. And this is not a thing I ever did afterwards because I shortly thereafter became like pretty nervous about public speaking, ironically enough. I got into it. In high school, I ended up doing the debate team and that helped me get out of it. But all of grade school, really, I was really nervous about public speaking. But inside of me, I've always held fast to the this idea that there is a kindergartner who wanted to get up in front of the class and sing the theme song to land before time you remember that movie yeah i do i mean that that was my movie i've seen it a million times and the movie has the song they play at the end um which is a super sad song um but that i i got up in front of the class and sung it and i remember feeling happy and fulfilled and also feeling like in retrospect man who the who the hell was that little kid who did that, who had the balls to do that? Because I would get up in front of the class in grade school and my hands and knees would shake and all that shit. And, and that little kid inside of me was the person that I think I channel when I do the job I do now. So that memory has always been like a weird centering point, even though it's based on a movie about tiny cartoon dinosaurs. We always end our podcast with one major question. What advice would you give 18-year-old Pablo? Mm. Yeah, I, I, I would tell 18-year-old me that the thing you want, the thing you're working hardest for, may not be what's actually best for you. And I say that because if you asked 18-year-old me, and even 21-year-old me, like if you were a genie coming out of a bottle, and you appeared in front of me, and you said, you only get one wish, what would your wish be? I am sad to report that I may have wished for like a really good LSAT score. Mm. I may have said, I want to go to the best law school. I mean, I was to go back to the academic shit. I was so tunnel vision that I was obsessed with like, I got to get to the best law school. I got to do this, this, and this. And then what happened was I didn't get a good LSAT score. In fact, I took the test again because I wasn't satisfied with it. But in the meantime, in that year in between, what happened was that I went to work for Sports Illustrated. And I actually got to indulge the passion in my life. And so I kind of failed backwards into this career, which is so much more fulfilling. And speaking again to quality of life makes me happier than being a lawyer ever would. So if I could decrease the stress levels of 18-year-old me and trying to be in this academic rat race, um, I would do that. And I think it's important for me to remember right now, honestly, like the thing you think is best for you, there might be another thing the universe has in store, which could be better, which could lead to me standing in front of my dresser one day, talking into a laptop while not having showered at all. And also I cut my hair, my own hair yesterday. So this is like all weird. Um, it could lead to this moment right now with you guys, which I am very grateful for. Thanks again, man. I appreciate you taking the time to, you know, have this great episode be put out to the universe in a couple of days. You know what I mean? You could have been doing anything else, but you're here with me and Jason. I, I am here with you guys embarrassing myself with detail. I have not told anybody else 
in many, many years. So I appreciate you guys being a safe space. We appreciate you, man. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing. Absolutely.